it's been said, freedom isn't free. And let's never forget that as we enjoy the freedom of this nation. And in relation to our spiritual freedom, the fact that our sins are forgiven, and we as Christians are the righteousness of God, and we have the Spirit in our hearts, and we have the promise of heaven, and we are called children of God, and the Spirit has given us peace, joy, and love, and we have strength and power to overcome anything that comes against us, and our pasts are cleansed, and our promises are assured that God has planned hope for us to prosper us and not to harm us, may we remember that this freedom is not free. It was bought with us, bought for us with the price, the blood of Christ. And our freedom is not free, and the people in our lives who are still walking in bondage, their freedom is not free. Jesus paid for it with his blood, and we have to be so grateful for our freedom that we reach out to them and we share Christ with them. Somebody shared Christ with you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, somebody shared Christ with you. And somebody in your life is in desperate need for you to share it with them, which is why in Matthew chapter 5, verse, 4, verse 19, Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you a preacher. No. Follow me, and I'll make you a teacher. No. Follow me, and I'll make you a singer. No. He said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Somebody who reaches out to those who are still in bondage and takes them by the hand and leads them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must place, church, a disproportionate emphasis on this thing called evangelism or heralding the gospel. And gospel is the good news. The news has a connotation within itself. The good news, the gospel, the good news, the news has a connotation within itself that we proclaim it, that we share it, that we herald it. We must follow Christ to the extent that we proclaim the good news. The gospel is not a noun. The gospel is a verb. And we must all share the good news. Now imagine with me this morning for a moment. But instead of coming into a building with bricks, imagine that this is a commercial airliner, British Airlines. And imagine if instead of giving, being given bulletins when you walked in, imagine that you were giving passports. And then we come in and imagine that instead of sitting down in a, in a comfortable uh, pew, imagine that you're seated in a uh, commercial airliner seat. And imagine that instead of having Rob, one of our deacons, welcome you this morning, there was a stewardess who showed you where the exit was and went through that whole routine. And then imagine that we are all airborne and we are flying over the Atlantic Ocean. We as a church family are partaking together of a three-month missionary journey in Eastern Europe where communism, the, the veil of communism has just been pulled down and the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been freely shared in this communistic country. And so we as a church family have taken off work for three months. Some of us quit our jobs 
and we land in this Eastern European country. And we have it very well strategized. It's, it's well planned out. We are going to infiltrate the culture through, uh, through our vocations, through our hobbies, through the relationships that we create with people. Businessmen among you have jobs as janitors in the schools. Entrepreneurs among you have jobs as English teachers in, in the schools. We get memberships maybe to a health club and we sign up for maybe a, 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 just a, a volunteer organization just to meet people like a chess club. But, but, but we infiltrate all sorts of walks of life. Some of you who are gifted in the arts become art teachers and drama teachers. And uh, some of you college students, we were able to secure, secure for you a job in the cafeteria and some of the universities and some of the college campuses. And our mission is very simple. We are going to be so full of joy for three months in the workplace that people are going to notice that there is something very different about us. And so the reason that we are going to be so full of joy is because we're going to stay very far from sin, which absolutely drains our joy. And every morning we're going to wake up and we're going to, be, our greatest priority is going to be to have our time with the Lord every single morning because we need to stay fresh, we need to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that if we, if we stay from, far from sin and if every morning we wake up early uh, so that we can seek the face of God on our own personally, that we're going to have this joy. So that then we, we go into the workplace and we're the hardest workers, we're the friendliest workers, we, 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 we introduce ourselves to people, we invite people to lunch, we, we ask people if they're okay because they look a little down from, from last week and we build these relationships with people, we're just friends. And the reason that we're starting this three-month missionary journey like that is because we're looking at Jesus and we, we, we took note of his pattern in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was, was God, and the Word became flesh. And then we jump down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When Jesus left heaven and He came to earth, not for a three-month missionary journey, but for a 33-year missionary journey, this is what He did. He just made His dwelling among us. And he, he, would, he would see somebody in a tree that just wanted to catch a glimpse of him because of the crowds. His name is Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And guess who was there? Zacchaeus' friends. And he just had a relationship with him. In fact, it, it earned him the name that he wore like a badge of honor, but it was intended as an intense slur against him. Jesus is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And so following this pattern, we just make our dwelling among the citizens of this Eastern European country. And we're building friendships with them. But we also know that our mission is so noble and it's so important that we are going to experience incredible spiritual opposition from Satan and demons. Therefore, every chance we get, we have it very strategically lined out. Every chance we get, every evening, we come together and we pray. We pray for boldness. We pray to keep our focus. And we pray for, for, for anointing. 
and, and we're very attentive to one another because if we see that, that somebody's getting discouraged or they're getting distracted or they're uh, just starting to, to become more concerned about the way a coworker is treating them or they're not getting recognition for their boss or they're not moving up the ladder, we kind of shake some sense into them and say, that's not why we're here. What in the world are you thinking? We're only here three months and we're gone and we're not here to, to, to win a petty battle against a coworker or to get, you know, points from a boss or we're not here to move up some ladder. We are here to let our light shine and to build relationships with people and to let them see something different about us. Come on, wake up. And then... In the midst of a conversation, maybe it's over coffee, maybe it's over lunch, maybe it's over dinner with one of the people that we've been investing. That's the word, investing. We've been investing our time. We've been investing our lives into somebody in the context of a relationship for a strategic purpose that's bigger than our lives, that's, that's bigger than anything in this world. It's their souls. And, and, and in the context of that relationship, we, we, we share the gospel with them by just sharing how Jesus has saved our soul, how he's in our heart, how he's our friend, how he's given us eternal life. And we ask them, would you like to know this person named Jesus? And they say something that absolutely shocks you. I mean, it staggers you. It takes you back. Uh, they say, yes. And you're like, you mean, you mean now? You mean now you would like to? To surrender your life to Christ now? They're like, yeah. In fact, to this day, that is still my, my feeling and my response in personal evangelism when somebody says, yeah, I'm ready. I'm like, wait, you mean now? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, Lord, thank you. And you say, well, let's pray. It's not the words. It's not something you do. It's transferring your heart's confidence to Christ. But pray with me to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and invite him in to be your Lord and Savior. And they do. And after they pray, you look at them and you see, you know, tears are in their eyes or tears are coming down. And you know that a significant transformation took place in their heart. And you have this joy in your heart that's swelling up and there's a knot in your throat and you can't contain it. And you cannot wait to get back to that assembly tonight as we all assemble to pray for strength and boldness and to maintain our focus. And you come back and you say, you're never going to believe what happened. But you remember my coworker that I've been talking about? They received Christ tonight. And all of us erupt in joyful celebration and praying. And we begin thanking God. And then we begin praying for the people that we're, or, 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 in, in, in all of our lives that we're praying for and investing into to lead them to Christ. And then each of us begin leading some people to Christ. And then we know that we're out of here. I mean, time is ticking and, you know, we're out of here just in a matter of a couple of weeks. But, 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 but also, you know, we, 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 we plan some things for some kids as well, and some things that are going to be fun for the kids, and so we invite them, and then we see a whole slew of kids come to Christ, and we know that this is the next generation of leaders. I mean, this generation of leaders is going to be the preachers and the teachers, and missionaries are going to raise up from this group to even come back to the United States of America. 
And then all of these people who we've invested into and they've made decisions for Christ, we, 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 we bring them together in the same room and we try to communicate to them, guys, you're not strangers, you're family. And y'all stick close together. And what you saw us do, you do. As I was lit up at work, now you stay lit up at work. I'm passing the torch to you. You carry the torch. Stay focused. Don't get focused on petty things. Don't get focused on just climbing. Stay focused on souls. But in order to do that, you guys are going to have to be a family. You're going to have to be close. You're going to have to meet weekly, even even many times a week. You're going to have to pray for one another. You're going to have to be a family. And guess what? We started a church. And then we're on a plane back across the Atlantic. And we just sense this euphoric awe. And we think, I'll never be the same. And then a few months pass. And, 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 and we have it wired up like a live feed. And we assemble together and we see the church and they've doubled. And they're, they're, they're meeting in this warehouse. And it's a live feed. And they wave at us. And we wave at them. And we get to watch in on their baptism celebration. And let me just say this. If we are approaching church in any way differently than what I just described here in Fort Worth, Texas, we are not the church. We are completely playing church. We are wasting our time. If you try to do church in a place like I just described, or in China, the way most evangelicals, which evangelicals today, what's commonly referred to as evangelicals, aren't even Christians. What's commonly referred to as the church today isn't even the church. And if you try to transplant the way church is done in the United States of America into the church in underground China, that church would be crushed, and it would not exist. Because in the United States of America, and perhaps this is your mindset, you cannot have church unless it's cool. You cannot go to church unless it's entertaining. You cannot go to church unless it's comfortable and unless it's convenient. Am I true? You cannot go to church unless the children's ministry is socio and economically comfortable and consistent with your children. You cannot go to church unless the youth ministry is a socio and economic fit with your teens. What has happened to us in America? So with that, if you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about how we are the light. This is how we are the church. There is a spiritual war right here where we're at. And let me be frank with you. Right now, we are losing. Uh, you take you take a denomination like, say, Southern Baptist Convention, who is one of probably the most aggressive in evangelism and aggressive denominations in church planning. For the last 50 years, I believe that they've maintained roughly about, in their denomination, I believe the statistic is roughly about 350,000 baptisms a year for the last 50 years. So we've 
maintained. You know, the Southern Baptists have maintained 350,000 baptisms a year for the last 50 years. But the problem with that is over the last 50 years, our nation, our population has grown from about 120 million to over 350 million. I mean, you look at the school systems, you look at the morality, you look at the entertainment, and you look at the bondage that people even within the church are experiencing. Look at the divorce rate, which is as consistent in the church as it is outside the church, right about 50%. And you got to understand that we're losing the cultural battle. Why? Because we think that church is a place to be entertained that should be cool, that should be comfortable, that should be convenient, that should be consistent with the socioeconomic demographic in which we are comfortable. And that is not what Jesus envisioned when he gave birth to the church. So let's take a look at what the church is to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then in verse 14, and this is where we're going to pick up with our text And by the way, this is coming out of the Beatitudes. And I thought, you know what? We're coming out of the Beatitudes. This is the greatest sermon ever. We spent eight weeks on the first eight statements. Let's just keep on into the greatest sermon of all time. So salt and light, verse 14. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would allow these words to, to, to travel that distance from our head to our heart and let it transform us and let it transform this church and let that transform this community and let that transform this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Well, hold on a second. Jesus, don't you mean, didn't you mean to say I am the light of the world? No, Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. He said, you are the light of the world. But hold on, Jesus. You're the one walking on water. You're the one curing disease. You're the one casting out demons. You're the one who's leading people to living water. You're the one who said, I am the light of the world, and I am the living water, I am the bread of life. Don't you mean I am the light of the world? Jesus says, no, I mean you are the light of the world. Well, don't you mean Billy Graham is the light of the world? Don't you mean Mother Teresa is the light of the world? Don't you mean the professional pastors are the light of the world? And Jesus said, no, I mean you are the light of the world. Well, don't you mean the the big church on I-30, Christ Chapel, is the light of the world? Don't you mean the big street on Hewland Street, McKinney Memorial is the light of the world? Don't you mean the, 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 the big church, you know, South... West Fort Worth Christ Church is the light of the world and Jesus says no hope works you are the light of the world and it's not because anything that you've done or haven't done or credentials that you've accumulated or haven't accumulated it's because of my spirit that's going to be placed inside of you when you trust me consequently we are the light of the world and incidentally this is why 
If, if, if you don't have a name where people go, oh, wow, preach the gospel because your name's really big like Billy Graham, or if we don't have an impressive type rich church, we are all the more greater, greatly the candidate to be the light of the world, to transform the world, because all throughout biblical history, know this, God has chosen the humble things who had to place 100% confidence in him and his gospel and his spirit to shine their light. This has encouraged me over the years, and I, I, I think it will you as well, if you heard this before, then just be encouraged by it again, as it's a constant reminder to me. The master was searching for a vessel to use. The master is still searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value, and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, well, gold would be best. The master passed on with no word at all. He looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear master. I'll pour out your wine and I'll be at your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true, and my silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel. I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my content so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride. And I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. The master came next to the vessel of wood, polished and carved. It solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden boat said. But I'd rather you use me for fruit, not for bread. Then the master looked down and saw... A vessel of clay, empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I will mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride of itself, nor the one who was narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one who is big mouth and shallow and loud, nor one who displays his contents so proud, not the one who thinks he can do things just right, but this plain earthly vessel filled with my power and might. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay, mended and cleansed it and filled it that day, Spoke to it kindly. There's work you must do. Just pour into others as I pour into you. This is our responsibility. Just to be so empty, so depleted, so non-confident in ourselves that we place 100% confidence in Christ and trust in Him, and we stepped out of our comfort zone. And here, here, here's the key. We don't say no on behalf of anybody. One time I said, hey, why don't you invite your friends? We've got a great testimony this next Sunday. And they said, oh, no, they'll never come. And I said, don't say no for your friends. I know your history. You were in a mess. What if somebody said no on your behalf? Thank God they left it up to you and the Holy Spirit. Don't say no for anybody. You say, but they're a lost cause. We're all a lost cause, but by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there are no lost causes. Don't say no to anybody. Don't say no on anybody's behalf. Be so empty, so surrendered, so dependent, that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone 
and offer the living water, the gospel of life, to anybody and to everybody. And sometimes you'll be disappointed. Man, the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, and Jesus was grieved and sad by it. Jesus looked over to Jerusalem, which he preached and preached and preached in Jerusalem. And he looked over to Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, and he wept. And he said, how I've longed to gather you together. But in just a few years, you're going to be wiped out, and there won't be one stone on top of the next. And you rejected me. You're not going to have a 100% ratio. But I know this much, you will... You will not lead to Christ 100% of the people that you never reach out to. You're going to miss 100% of the free throws that you never take, right? And so we've got to reach out. We've got to keep reaching out. Don't say no to anybody. And then when you realize that the Holy Spirit led you, and this is something greater than yourself, and they say yes, and you're taken back, and it's like, really? I've, I've got to share it. Brian, i gotta, I got to share how I met you. Is that okay? Yes. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, so a couple of Sunday nights ago, like we started a Sunday night service, and I'm, I'm really encouraged by our Sunday night service. Um, we knew that for it to take, it had to be strongly evangelistic. And so, I mean, we've been reaching out to people. We've been inviting people. I mean, I invite over 100 people a week to our Sunday night service. And um, so, so incidentally, church, just, just don't be passive, okay? I mean, don't, don't you know... Just don't be passive. Pray, reach, invite, be passionate, walk in holiness, be, be anointed, be, be spirit-filled. Just keep inviting, keep reaching, keep, keep, keep recruiting into the kingdom of heaven. Just don't be passive. Get here early, pray. Uh, get here early, warmly welcome everybody. Just don't be passive. Be passionate. Make mistakes in being so passionate. Uh, fall on your face in being so passionate. Uh, be disappointed because you're so passionate. Get rejected because you're so passionate. But be passionate. Just don't be passive. So I, I'm really encouraged by the Sunday night service. Uh, it's been strongly evangelistic. Uh, uh, we, you know, if everybody's there at once these days and mostly new people. There's about 50 people. Uh, the night of Terry Caffey, there's about 70 people. So, I mean, it's strong. It's solid. And, you know, we've had some lower nights, some higher nights, but it's strong. And it, like I said, it's been strongly evangelistic. Um, so, incidentally, if you can't come to Sunday morning, please come to Sunday night uh, and, and support it and warmly welcome people. And, uh, so, at any rate, it was right before the Sunday night service started. And I thought, gosh, I... Uh, you know, it just, you know, Gentry may, 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 may sing worship to me, and then I might preach, preach to Gentry. You know, I thought, I thought this might be an awkward service at, at this point. And, I mean, it really filled in. It was an encouraging night. But, but, but that, that parable uh, came into my heart, and it was when you send out the invitation, that the master of the banquet sent out the invitation, and everybody had an excuse. Well, I can't because i got to work. I can't because I just got married. I can't because I've got, you know, I just bought some land. I mean, all these excuses. And the, and the master of the banquet, this is Jesus', Jesus story. And the master of the banquet got angry. And he told his servants, go into the highways and the byways and compel people to come in. It didn't go like he wanted, but go into the highways and the byways and compel people to come in. And I was just, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm a little discouraged right now that Gentry is going to, you know, sing to me, and I'm going to preach to Gentry, but I'll do what you said. So I just, you know, walk down the steps, and, and then I look across the street, and there's a couple of, a couple of guys, and they're sitting on a bench, and, and I just walk up, and, and I sit in between them, 
and, uh, and, and I look at the one on my right, and I said, I'm Shane, and he says, all right, you, you a preacher? And I said, yeah. He says, I'm Brian. I said, well, nice to meet you, Brian. Then I look at the guy on my left. I said, I'm Shane, and he says, that's all right. I said, okay. I said, what's your name? That's all right. I said, all right, I'll, I'll focus on Brian. <laughs> I said, Brian, man, it's uh, like five minutes. We're going to have a service right across the street. And if you come to it, your life's going to be changed. Just come out. He's like, ah, I don't know. I said, I'll see you there in five minutes, okay? Your life will be changed. So <clears throat> at any rate, he was late that You, you were late that night. But, so he strolls in. And, and you know what? It was a great service, and, and, and we, 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 we had Brian come forward, and we all gathered around. He already knew Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, but we promised that his life would be changed. So we all gathered around, and we just laid hands on him in our altar call, and we prayed for him. And it was a really beautiful service. Brian's been coming back ever since. And I'm really thrilled because, I mean, Brian and I are going to grow to be men of God together, and we're going to be the family of God together for years to come. And just to be part of each other's lives and families and ministries. And guys, this is the church. This, this would be our mindset if we were in this Eastern European country where the cloak of communism was just pulled back. Why is that not our mindset today? If our mindset is any less than that today, then we are playing church. We are a country club. So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not the hired guns, not the professionals. You are the light of the world. And he goes on. You are the light of the world. I love this. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you guys ever been on a long trip and then you drive in and you see the skyline on the city of the hill? Isn't that a beautiful sight? And that city on a hill, that skyline means different things to different soldiers. To some, it means home. Maybe it's a businessman that's been on a long trip and he sees the city on a hill and his longing for family is about to be quenched and he realizes that he's going to be home. For some, they, say, they see the city on a hill and they look down at their gas gauge, which is like below the E, and they think, thank God, I'm not going to be stranded. It means fuel. For some, they see the city on a hill and they realize that that means rest because they're tired and they're weary and they're finally going to be able to close their eyes. For some, it means direction because they're not real sure where to go and they get to stop and they get to ask directions. The church is to be a city on a hill and we're to be all of these things for different sojourners, for people longing for family, for people desperately in need of direction, for people longing for spiritual rest, for people longing for home. The church is a city on a hill, provided that we're not playing church, provided that Christians aren't just kind of doing church like a country club, provided that we're not passive, provided that we're passionate. We're passionate about every soul that the Lord entrusts to us, to love them, to bring them up, to encourage them, to pray for them, to warmly welcome them, for every soul that the Lord places in our life in the workplace. And we know that we're not there for things as petty as to make money or to compete or to simply uh, rise in the ranks, but we are there for souls. And we emulate Jesus and we simply make our dwelling among people at the workplace. And we simply make our dwelling among people at the health club. And we make our dwelling among people where we live. And we build friendships. 
And in the context of those friendships, we looked for opportunities to transition things to spiritual matters. Do you mind if I pray for you? I mean, maybe it's your next door neighbor you've been saying hi to and talking about watering hydrangeas for 10 years, but then something surfaces and you're like, you know what, can I pray for you? Or can I invite you to my church? Or can I share with you about a difficult time that I went through and I don't know how I would have gone through it without my Lord and Savior? And so we just make our dwelling among people, we build relationships, and we look for opportunities to transition conversations to spiritual matters, to be salt and light. And if you are not engaged in that process, I don't care how many seminary degrees you may have. I don't care how theologically sound you may be. I don't care how passionate you might be about, quote, unquote, the work of the ministry. I don't care how spiritual you might be when it comes to the Holy Spirit and communing and the peace and presence of God and all of these things. If you are not currently engaged in that process of dwelling among lost people, loving them through relationship, and looking for opportunity to transition the conversation to spiritual matters, you are not an obedient Christian. You are not a sound follower of Christ. You are not truly spiritual. Because when we are spiritual, we, we begin seeing the world the way Jesus sees the world. We see souls the way Jesus sees souls. Our heart breaks for souls. We grieve for souls. And we see the need for Christ. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not Billy Graham, not the big church. You are the light of the world. And the more humble we may perceive ourselves, the more humble we may perceive our situation, the more hope we have to be used by God, because the more dependent we're going to have to be upon God. And all throughout Scripture, God has consistently, from Moses to David to the apostles, chosen the humble things to transform the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then Jesus takes it from the macro to the micro. From the city on a hill to one living room that comprises that skyline. He takes it from the macro to the micro, from the city on a hill, from the skyline to one living room. In verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. What makes a city on a hill? Everybody turning the light on in our heart. Everybody committing to being passionate. Everybody having a disdain for the things that God has a disdain for. And what God has a disdain for is lukewarmness. You know, I believe that this is probably the greatest problem with most Christians today. We have the ex polar opposite heart of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Moses said, oh God, blot me out of your book, but not them. Block me out of your book for the salvation of my people. Whew. I mean, I think we can all do some repenting through that context. Isn't that reminiscent of, of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans when he said, oh, that I would be accursed so that my people could have eternal life. Whew. 
Is that your heart? Is that not the heart of Christ? I will go to the cross for the eternal life of one person. And God told Moses, no, Moses, I'm done with this people. I'll start over through you. And Moses said, no, God, no, no, blot me out, but not your people. What's Moses doing? He's interceding for people. He's praying for the lost. This is what Jesus did when he wept over Jerusalem. How do we turn the light on in our heart? Well, very simply, we began, it begins by praying for the lost, by praying for the broken, by praying for those in bondage. And the lost causes are the greatest causes. Because through the Holy Spirit, there are no lost causes. And we're all lost causes, but by the Holy Spirit. So we begin by praying for people, like, well, I don't know anybody lost in my life. Then you're not an obedient Christian, because we are all to be elbow deep in relationships and friendships with people who do not know Jesus. This is Jesus' 33-year missionary journey. He dwelt among us, and he, he developed relationships with sinners and tax collectors. And if we're not doing that, I don't care how spiritual we might seem, we are not spiritual. We are not theological. We are not sound. We are not following Christ. We must have a whole slew of friendships of people who don't know Christ, who need Christ. They know that we have some differences politically, but we don't. That's not our focus in debating. They, 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 they know we have differences morally, but, but, but we don't walk around condemning them. They know that. But, but, but what they truly know, what they, knew to their, what they know to their core is that we love them, that we care about them, that we would die if it meant they would receive Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. And we pray for them. You say, well, how do, I, how do I find friendships like this? This is why, incidentally, the greatest evangelists are brand new Christians. Because one, their, their heads aren't so filled with, with, with theological truths that they're confused, right? And you ask them to share the gospel and they're like, uh, they, they, they couldn't explain it to a child simply. Two, they just got saved, so all of their friends are lost people. And since all they know is the gospel, and all their friends are lost people, and they just got saved, and so there's a very drastic transformation between the way they were and the way they are. All their friends see, see something different about them, and so they leave a whole slew of people to Christ, or bring a whole slew of people into the body of Christ, where they get saved. But then what happens is Christians stay inside the church as we want them to do. They begin serving in ministry. That's how you grow. They, they, they begin going to home group. They begin learning doctrine. All of these things are critical and essential. They learn how to live spirit-filled lives, which is all very very essential and critical to growing. We can't remain infants. We've got to grow into maturity. But five, six, seven years into their Christian walk, they don't know, they don't have a relationship with one lost friend. And that can't be. So how do we turn the light on? Well, we pray for our lost friends, but I don't have any lost friends. Then you've got to make some. And if you have some, then, then perhaps you need to stop seeing them as your employees and stop seeing them as your employers. And you, you just need to begin seeing them as souls who need Jesus. And that's why God has placed them in your life. You need to stop seeing them as your classmates. Stop seeing them as, 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 as your teachers. Stop seeing them as police officers. Just see them as souls who need Christ. So, 
we turn the light on and we make friends with people who need Christ and we begin sharing Christ with them and we live a life among them that's salty, it's appealing, it flavors things because there's something different about us. We, we, we obviously walk to the beat of a different drummer. The, the, the sky is cloudy, but we've got joy. It's because we're connected to the Spirit of God and we are spirit-filled and we are growing and there's something different. There's a saying, preach the gospel everywhere you go and use words only when necessary. That's true. But it's equally as true, if you never use words, it is a huge cop-out. Preach the gospel everywhere you go, our lives ought to preach the gospel. But if we never use words, then we are living a cop-out. Jesus says then in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine, live salty, be light. But then when the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity, like, like with Brian and me, will you step out of your comfort zone and you don't say no on behalf of anybody? I don't have a 100% success ratio by any means. I mean, it's way, it's low. <laughs> my, my, my percentage, my success ratio is very low in inviting people in personal evangelism. But I figure if you take a couple hundred shots a week, you're going to land one or two, right? <laughs> and then you get to grow in that relationship. Oh, Lord, just don't be passive. Just don't be lukewarm. Be passionate. Be rejected. Be disappointed. Be persistent. But don't be passive. Just keep reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When, when, when the Lord, you know, gave me this passion about serving Christ and seeking Christ, I changed, and the whole trajectory of my life and goals changed. And, and I just wanted to see people come to Christ. And I didn't care what happened to my life. I, I, I didn't care. I was studying business at the time. I, I, I didn't care if I went on to be a, a business major. I, I, I didn't care if I was rich. I didn't care if I was poor, if I was in Fort Worth, if I was in a third world country. I just prayed, God, let me use me to lead one person to you, one person. I remember working three years at Eastern Hills High School, and all I knew was what Jesus modeled. I, I, and I thought, gosh, I don't have a seminary degree. I, I really, I just, I just kind of, I, I, I get the gospel, you know. I, Jesus died for sinners, and if they turn to him, then, then, then they're going to be saved, and their sins are forgiven, and they're his child, they're the righteousness of God, they're heaven-bound, and they have heaven on earth to live life victoriously now. And it's all I knew. But how do you communicate that? How do you communicate that with people? And I just, I would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and how Jesus made his dwelling, that 33-year missionary trip where he just made his dwelling among people. And I read how, how he was, a, you know, he was friends with, with people that religious people weren't friends with, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with sinners, known sinners. He, he had dinner with them. That was his, that's what he did. He had dinner with them, and they all brought their, their, their friends, and he had dinner with them. And that's spirituality. 
I'm not saying I'm not saying go to clubs on Friday night. I'm not saying place yourself in opportunities to sin. Know this, when Jesus was around the sinners, they weren't sinning. He was around them and all their friends were around them, but it was it was it was not in the synagogue, it was not in the temple, but but it was in their living rooms and they were listening to what he said. He was of the world, but not of the world. None of the sinners never ever ever questioned Jesus's holiness. Never. The religious leaders slammed Jesus, and they called him a drunkard and a glutton. It was pure slander because of the people that Jesus was friends with and ministered to. But the people who Jesus was friends with and ministered to never, ever, 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 ever questioned his holiness. But he was just friends with them. And I thought, okay, well, all I know is the gospel, and so I'm just going to do what Jesus did. And almost every day, I would go into the cafeterias at Eastern Hills High School, and I would just walk up to tables of athletes, I would walk up to tables of cheerleaders, I would walk up to table of people who look like they were in student council, I would walk up to people who were dressed in all black and wrote, leave me alone on their hands and, you know, and their shoes and stuff, and I would walk up to people that, you know, were sitting alone. Like Hope Works today, we didn't have an external demographic audience, core, a target. Why? Because Jesus didn't. One thing, one criteria mattered. They were lost, they were hurting, they were hopeless. Jesus said, okay, this is a person that I want to build a friendship with. And I would walk up to these groups, and I would extend my hand, and I would say, hi, I'm Shane. And some would be like, okay, yeah, what are you doing in high school? Aren't you older than us? Don't you have anything better to do? And the one kid who said, don't you have anything better to do? I said, no, I don't. I don't. Because you were the most important thing on this world. And Jesus loves you. And if you'll come to our Young Life meeting on Monday night, your life will never be the same. And you'll see why I don't have anything better to do than to share Jesus with you. Just one friendship at a time. One relationship at a time. You know, Young Life got started out there at that school, and many kids came to Christ on one night. And somewhere along the lines, don't, don't we as Christians lose sight of Jesus' method? When did Jesus ever try to be cool? When did Jesus ever try to be entertaining? When did Jesus ever try to be comfortable? When did Jesus ever try to be non-offensive? When did Jesus ever try to be convenient? He just loved sinners where they were, and he communicated to them that he is life. And let's do that. Do you have a lot of unsafe friends? Gosh, I pray you do. Do you view them as simply co-workers or bosses or annoying people or offensive people or next-door neighbors or, 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 or kids on your kid's team, whatever it is? Or do you view them as souls? Would you stand with me, please? You guys want to know something interesting? Did you all know that if I said, this may come as a surprise to you, 
But did y'all know that if I said, if you've been attending this church for less than one year, would you come stand up here? Did you realize that over 90% of you, if not over 95%, I'll say conservatively, probably 90% of you would come stand up here. Did you know that? We are a new church. The Sunday night service is exactly the same. If I said, if you've been here less than three or four months, would you come stand up here? If you've been here less than three months, come stand up here. 50 people would come stand up front. We are a new church. Do you want to you, you, you know what that means? I know that you're thinking you're just kind of checking things out, or maybe you're not a pillar, or maybe you wouldn't be noticed if you weren't here, but the Lord has done a really amazing thing over the years, and he's purged us, allowed us to walk through a fire, and he's brought us to this place. He's purged our spirits, our character. And he's allowed us, allowed us to come to this place. And he's brought this specific church family together for this specific time and this specific point in history. Not to be comfortable, not to be convenient, not to be uh, socioeconomically monotone. He's brought us this specific group of souls in this specific place, in this specific point in history to be the church, to let our light shine, to be a city on a hill. And I just want to ask you to be the church with me. Just like, just like I asked Brian. I, Brian was, part of it, 90% of it was probably the Holy Spirit, 10% of it, I'm sure Brian felt sorry for me. But... But I was like, Brian, man, I just, let's just be a church family together, man. Let's just be brothers in Christ for years to come. Let's just be part of each other's ministry together. Let's be part of each other's lives. Let's just be the church. And I'm asking you guys, let's just be the church together. I mean, I mean, not passively, not, not a country club. Aren't there plenty of country clubs around where you have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, everybody's from the exact same zip code, everybody goes to the exact same country clubs. I mean, I mean, can't, can't you just, don't, don't we have enough of those churches? Aren't there thousands of, 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 of people who, who, who are going to these kinds of places where if they were there or not, nobody would ever know the difference in the grand scheme of eternal history? But, but God has brought this specific group of souls together in this specific place, in this specific point in time, not to be passive, but to be passionate and to let our light shine and to be a city on a hill. I wish that we were in Eastern Europe in a sense, for three months, because it would give us that sense of urgency, right? It would give us that sense of focus. We, 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 would, we would not be caught up with the petty, you know, little, little fights at work and, and all of that stuff, the little gossip sessions. We would be focused because we know we're here for three months. We've got a purpose. We're out of here. Listen, we're here for, I, I, I attended two friends', friends funerals Friday. Uh, guys my age or younger, well, one's a few years older and the other's a few years younger, but we, we may have three months. We may have three years. We may have three weeks. We may have 30 years. We may have 50 years. In the grand scheme of eternity, it's the same. It's the same. 
And we are to live with that same concentration, with that same focus. Let's live what matters in heaven. What matters for heaven is what lasts in heaven. And what lasts is souls. It's souls. It's souls and the praise of Jesus. Let's live for souls and the praise of Jesus. You say, but, but we're supposed to pray. Yeah, it's like, like right leg is praying, right? Right leg is praying. And, and the left leg is preaching the gospel to our friends in relational ways. And this is how we walk. We pray and we praise. We preach to our friends. We pray and we praise. And we preach to our friends. And this is how we make footsteps in this world. And we can't stop praying and praising and preaching. And we're going to have, we're, we're going to have invite Sundays, we've got vacation Bible school, there's, there's all sorts of things, there's all sorts of things, but, but, but why is it that 90% of the gospel presentations are within the four walls of the church? That not, ought not to be so, because the greatest pulpit of all time is a cup of coffee between you and a friend. The greatest pulpit of all time is a lunch table, as you're having lunch with a friend that you've been investing into, and you just share personally what Jesus has done for you. Do not outsource your preaching of the gospel to me. You preach the gospel. You were commanded to preach the gospel everywhere you go, sometimes without words, but you better look for opportunities to preach the gospel with words or you will never preach the gospel. Preach everywhere you go. Preach. And we really do need to view this place as a mission because the church is a mission, especially this church. We've got Vacation Bible School coming around. There's, there's bulletins. There, there's, there's flyers in the bulletin. There's flyers out there. And if we're in Eastern Europe and we had an activity for the kids, wouldn't we all comb through the neighborhoods and invite all the kids? Then let's do that. Let's do that. You have neighbors. There's kids running around your neighborhood. Round up as many kids. There's a launch party that's, that's going to kick off the Vacation Bible School. And we'll have a bounce house. Invite kids to the launch party. It's just a fun party. Invite all your kids. Invite all your friends who have kids to this Vacation Bible School launch party. And then, and then make sure that the kids come to Vacation Bible School as well. The dates and flyers are, are, are in the lobby. We're the church. And you said you'd be the church with me. Well, actually, Brian said he'd be the church with me. You haven't said that yet. Well, will you be the church with me? Can we be the church together? Can we be the hands and feet of Christ together? Not if we're passive. We've got to be passionate. We've got a membership series starting this Wednesday. It's just, just to find out if this, this kind of heart that, that we're talking about, about this kind of heart, come out Wednesday at 7. That, that'll get you going in the right direction. Vacation Bible school. Begin seeing your life missionally. You're on mission. Where you live is missional. Where you work is missional. Take some flyers and invite some friends Make sure they're here at the Vacation Bible School launch party. And preach the gospel to a co-worker. Preach the gospel to a family member. All right. So if we were in Eastern Europe, I would say, okay, guys, you guys come down here and pray for boldness. Because when you get out there, you're going to be spiritually attacked. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be discouraged. You're not going to want to be bold. So you come down here and you pray for boldness. Because when you go out there, that's the mission field. And if we don't do church like that, we're not doing church. So I would like to invite you, if you'd like to be the church with me, to come forward and pray for boldness to enter the mission field and preach the gospel everywhere you go, to round up kids for vacation Bible school and preach the gospel everywhere you go. So the altars are open.